Section 12 of Complete Hypnotism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Westra. Complete Hypnotism, Mesmerism, Mind Reading, and Spiritualism by A. Alpheus. Chapter 9. Hypnotism in Medicine. Anesthesia, Restoring the Use of Muscles, Hallucination, Bad Habits. Anesthesia. It is well known that hypnotism may be used to render subjects insensible to pain. Thus, numerous startling experiments are performed in public, such as running hat-pins through the cheeks or arms, sewing the tongue to the ear, etc., the curious part of it is that the insensibility may be confined to one spot only. Even persons who are not wholly under hypnotic influence may have an arm or a leg or any smaller part rendered insensible by suggestion, so that no pain will be felt. This has suggested the use of hypnotism in surgery in the place of chloroform, ether, etc. About the year 1860, some of the medical profession hoped that hypnotism might come into general use for producing insensibility during surgical operations. Dr. Guerineau in Paris reported the following successful operation. The thigh of a patient was amputated. After the operation, says the doctor, I spoke to the patient and asked him how he felt. He replied that he felt as if he were in heaven, and he seized hold of my hand and kissed it. Turning to a medical student, he added, I was aware of all that was being done to me, and the proof is that I knew my thigh was cut off at the moment when you asked me if I felt any pain. The writer who records this case continues, quote, This, however, was but a transitory stage. It was soon recognized that a considerable time and a good deal of preparation were necessary to induce the patients to sleep, and medical men had recourse to a more rapid and certain method, that is, chloroform. Thus, the year 1860 saw the rise and fall of braidism as a means of surgical anesthesia. Close quote. One of the most detailed cases of successful use of hypnotism as an anesthetic was presented to the Hypnotic Congress, which met in 1889, by Dr. Fort, Professor of Anatomy. Quote, On the 21st of October, 1887, a young Italian tradesman, aged 20, Jean M., came to me and asked me to take off a wen he had on his forehead, a little above the right eyebrow. The tumor was about the size of a walnut. I was reluctant to make use of chloroform, although the patient wished it, and I tried a sort of hypnotic experiment. Finding that my patient was easily hypnotizable, I promised to extract the tumor in a painless manner and without the use of chloroform. The next day I placed him in a chair and induced sleep, by a fixed gaze, in less than a minute. Two Italian physicians, doctors Triani and Colombo, who were present during the operation, declared that the subject lost all sensibility and that his muscles retained all the different positions in which they were put exactly as in the cataleptic state. The patient saw nothing, felt nothing, and heard nothing. 
his brain remaining in communication only with me. As soon as we had ascertained that the patient was completely under the influence of the hypnotic slumber, I said to him, You will sleep for a quarter of an hour, knowing that the operation would not last longer than that, and he remained seated and perfectly motionless. I made a transversal incision two and a half inches long and removed the tumor, which I took out whole. I then pinched the blood vessels with a pair of Dr. Peen's hemostatic pincers, washed the wound, and applied a dressing without making a single ligature. The patient was still sleeping. To maintain the dressing in proper position, I fastened a bandage around his head. While going through the operation, I said to the patient, Lower your head, raise your head, turn to the right, turn to the left, etc., and he obeyed like an automaton. When everything was finished, I said to him, Now, wake up. He then awoke, declared that he had felt nothing and did not suffer, and he went away on foot as if nothing had been done to him. Five days after the dressing was removed, and the cicatrix was found completely healed. Hypnotism has been tried extensively for painless dentistry, but with many cases of failure which got into the courts and thoroughly discredited the attempt except in very special cases. RESTORING THE USE OF MUSCLES There is no doubt that hypnotism may be extremely useful in curing many disorders that are essentially nervous, especially such cases as those in which a patient has a fixed idea that something is the matter with him when he is not really affected. Cases of that description are often extremely obstinate, and entirely unaffected by the ordinary therapeutic means. Ordinary doctors abandon the cases in despair, but some person who understands mental suggestion, for instance the Christian science doctors, easily effects a cure. If the regular physician were a student of hypnotism, he would know how to manage cases like that. By way of illustration, we quote reports of two cases, one successful and one unsuccessful. The following is from a report by one of the physicians of the Charity Hospital in Paris. Quote, Gabriel C. became a patient of mine toward the end of 1886. She entered the Charity Hospital to be under treatment for some accident arising from pulmonary congestion and while there was suddenly seized with violent attacks of hysteroepilepsy, which first contracted both legs and finally reduced them to complete immobility. She had been in this state of absolute immobility for seven months, and I had vainly tried every therapeutic remedy usual in such cases. My intention was first to restore the general constitution of the subject, who was greatly weakened by her protracted stay in bed, and then, at the end of a certain time, to have recourse to hypnotism, and at the opportune moment suggest to her the idea of walking. The patient was hypnotized every morning, and the first degree, that of lethargy, then the cataleptic, and finally the somnambulistic states were produced. After a certain period of somnambulism, she began to move, and unconsciously took a few steps across the ward. 
Soon after, it was suggested, the locomotive powers having recovered their physical functions, that she should walk when awake. This she was able to do, and in some weeks the cure was complete. In this case, however, we had the ingenious idea of changing her personality at the moment when we induced her to walk. The patient fancied she was somebody else, and as such, and in this roundabout manner, we satisfactorily attained the object proposed. The following is Professor Delbeuf's account of Dr. Bernheim's mode of suggestion at the hospital at Nancy. A robust old man of about seventy-five years of age, paralyzed by sciatica, which caused him intense pain, was brought in. He could not put a foot to the ground without screaming in pain. "'Lie down, my poor friend. I will soon relieve you,' Dr. Bernheim says. "'That is impossible, doctor.' "'You will see.' "'Yes, we shall see. But I tell you, we shall see nothing.' On hearing this answer, I thought suggestion will be of no use in this case. The old man looked sullen and stubborn. Strangely enough, he soon went off to sleep, fell into a state of catalepsy, and was insensible when pricked. But when Monsieur Bernheim said to him, Now you can walk, he replied, No, I cannot. You are telling me to do an impossible thing. Although Monsieur Bernheim failed in this instance, I could not but admire his skill. After using every means of persuasion, insinuation, and coaxing, he suddenly took up an imperative tone, and in a sharp, abrupt voice that did not admit a refusal, said, I tell you, you can walk. Get up. Very well, replied the old fellow. I must, if you insist upon it. And he got out of bed. No sooner, however, had his foot touched the floor than he screamed even louder than before. Monsieur Bernheim ordered him to step out. "'You tell me to do what is impossible,' he again replied, and he did not move. He had to be allowed to go to bed again, and the whole time the experiment lasted he maintained an obstinate and ill-tempered air." These two cases give an admirable picture of the cases that can be and those that cannot be cured by hypnotism or any other method of mental suggestion. Hallucination Hallucinations, says a medical authority, are very common among those who are partially insane. They occur as a result of fever and frequently accompany delirium. They result from an impoverished condition of the blood, especially if it is due to starvation, indigestion, and the use of drugs like belladonna, hyosicarnus, stramonium, opium, chloral, cannabis indica, and many more that might be mentioned. Large numbers of cases of attempted cure by hypnotism, successful and unsuccessful, might be quoted. There is no doubt that in the lighter forms of partial insanity, hypnotism may help many patients, though not all. But when the disease of the brain has gone farther, especially when a well-developed lesion exists in the brain, mental treatment is of little avail, even if it can be practiced at all. A few general remarks by Dr. Bernheim will be interesting. Says he, quote, 
the mode of suggestion should be varied and adapted to the special suggestibility of the subject. A simple word does not always suffice in impressing the idea upon the mind. It is sometimes necessary to reason, to prove, to convince, in some cases to affirm decidedly, in others to insinuate gently, for in the condition of sleep, just as in the waking condition, the moral individuality of each subject persists according to his character, his inclinations, his impressionability, etc. Hypnosis does not run all subjects into a uniform mold and make pure and simple automatons out of them, moved solely by the will of the hypnotist. It increases cerebral docility. It makes the automatic activity preponderate over the will, but the latter persists to a certain degree. The subject thinks, reasons, discusses, accepts more readily than in the waking condition, but does not always accept, especially in the light degrees of sleep. In these cases we must know the patient's character, his particular psychical condition, in order to make an impression upon him. End quote. Bad Habits the habit of the excessive use of alcoholic drinks, morphine, tobacco, or the like, may often be decidedly helped by hypnotism, if the patient wants to be helped. The method of operation is simple. The operator hypnotizes the subject, and when he is in deep sleep, suggests that on awakening, he will feel a deep disgust for the article he is in the habit of taking, and if he takes it, will be affected by nausea or other unpleasant symptoms. In most cases, the suggested result takes place, provided the subject can be hypnotized at all, but unless the patient is himself anxious to break the habit fixed upon him, the unpleasant effects soon wear off, and he is as bad as ever. Dr. Koch treated a large number of cases, which he reports in detail in his book on hypnotism. In a fair proportion of the cases he was successful, in some cases completely so. In other cases he failed entirely, owing to lack of moral stamina in the patient himself. His conclusions seem to be that hypnotism may be made a very effective aid to moral suasion, but after all character is the chief force which throws off such habits once they are fixed. The morphine habit is usually the result of a doctor's prescription at some time, and it is practiced more or less involuntarily. Such cases are often materially helped by the proper suggestions. The same is true of bad habits in children. The weak may be strengthened by the stronger nature, and hypnotism may come in as an effective aid to moral influence. Here again, character is the deciding factor. Dr. James R. Koch devotes a considerable part of his book on hypnotism to the use of hypnotism in medical practice, and for further interesting details, the reader is referred to that able work. End of section 12. Recording by Matthew Westra.